Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. 21 years ago today, I was wheeled into um, the cath lab at Hamilton General Hospital, Uh, They knew from testing that I had some cardiac issues. They didn't know how bad it was. So uh, an angiogram was done, and my left anterior descending artery was 99% blocked, also known as the Widowmaker. And uh, my surgeon, Dr. Doug Holder, who's a magician, just an outstanding, outstanding doctor. I have no idea how they do what they do, was able to, uh, he had to, get in twice, try to get in twice with the catheter, but he was able to uh, angioplasty and stent it and go from 99% blocked to zero. And I had to be very careful for quite some time, but uh, 21 years later, everything is working extremely well. No issues, no problems. And a cardiologist tells me that uh, nothing to worry about anymore. No, within reason. But uh, consider yourself to be no different than anyone else at, uh, as far as your heart health is concerned because it's held out so well. also want to say hello and thank you to my great friend, Dr. Lauren Finkelstein, my cardiologist at the time. Uh, Lauren and uh, Doug saved my life. So wh- why I'm telling you this is if you have, please listen to me, if you have any symptoms of any kind that lead you to believe you may be having some cardiac issues, tightness of chest, uh, you know, in your chest, pain when you exercise, angina. If you sweat a lot when you, ex- when you just do some minor activity, please check yourself out. And we're going to get started with my good friend, Michael Tobe, who uh, joins us on a biweekly basis. He's a columnist with the Washington Times and the National Rights for the National Post and Looney Media, and Troy Media, and was a speechwriter for Stephen Harper. How are you? I'm good, Roy. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Just fine, Michael. I'm, I mean, 21 years later, everything is working, and this is almost literal. Tickety-boo. And that's what matters the most. I didn't realize it was 21 years to the date. I remember when it happened. We had not met at that point, but I was aware of it. And look, the important thing is that you're healthy, you're active, and you're with us, and you're producing great radio. That's what really matters. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. And you know what's important, uh, really important to me, is that over the years, and particularly at that time, because I did some programming on it, some people actually sent me emails over time or called me and said, because of what you said, I didn't ignore my symptoms. I actually went and had them checked out. And here I am. One, one gentleman met me on the street and said, here I am a quintuple bypass later, and I'm alive. So it's all great. Well, sometimes you can identify with someone that you either know or that you listen to or that you watch. And if you've given some people at least a little bit of an inkling that they should go check things out, I think that's, that counts as a major victory, not just on your part, but for all our parts. Absolutely. And guys are known to be going to denial. Men uh, have this denial gene, I think. And it's, oh, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. You go to the doctor. doctor okay. says, I think we ought to test you. No, no, I'm fine. 
I know better. I know better. I don't know where that gene is exactly yeah. in my body, but I've got it too. Yeah, I yeah. know what you mean. So let's get started on some of the issues that I know you have been following and talking about sure. and writing about. And uh, the opening clip was First Nations' response to Mr. Trudeau's apology at Kamloops. What's your take? Oh, I think Charlie Angus, although I did not hear it, probably covered most of it pretty pretty sternly, and I wouldn't blame him, as most have. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I think we can watch it from the issue of what he said in body language. And Justin Trudeau sitting there, you know, some people said, well, he took his medicine, you know, he, he looked to be ashamed, he tried to apologize. And yes, certainly he did apologize when he was sitting there, but I think you can tell, and this has nothing to do with the fact that he, you know, has a bit of a, a history in the dramatic arts and all that. I, I, I can't speak for him because that would be unfair on my part, but I, he didn't really seem to be terribly apologetic. He went through the motions. I think he was embarrassed. There was no question of that. He probably didn't realize at the time, even if there were people around him, including senior advisors, basically telling him behind the scenes, don't do this. Don't go on a trip to Tofino, B.C., not especially, you know, when there's an important moment with truth and reconciliation. And it's the first time that we're actually celebrating on a national level. Be there. Go somewhere. Especially when he was invited to the place that he ultimately went a month later and twice at that. And he did nothing. But to me, just looking at it, I again, I just don't understand, Roy. I know we live in a democracy. People are free to do whatever they wish, and that's perfectly fine. I just don't know how some Canadians could have voted for someone like this three times. Not because they knew this was going to happen. I'm sure most people did not. But there's been these character flaws or certain intuitions that we've had about him that have been obvious literally from day one. Either Canadians are an incredibly forgiving people, which we sometimes are by nature, or we're just impervious to pain and are willing to ignore things like this because this is not a leader. No conservative or liberal in my time, in your time, in most people's time, would ever have done something like this. No. Got away with it. Either. No, no. Yeah, there's Justin Trudeau. No way. No way would they have gotten away with it. But he does get away with it repeatedly, and he's a repeated ethics violator, and he's been repeatedly uh, admonished officially by the ethics commissioner, the last one he right. appointed. Yep, he's been admonished two times, in fact. He's actually made three visits. He sort of got away with a, a little bit of it the third time. But again, you know, whenever people were critical of other prime ministers before him, my old friend and boss, Stephen Harper, they go back to Brian Mulroney, even some look at Jean Chrétien, Paul Martin. If you look at their records pound for pound, whether you agree or disagree with their policies, Absolutely no one has the number of ethics violations and ethics irregularities and issues like Justin Trudeau. No, it's not even yeah. comparable. You know what it is, Michael? I think he and the rest of this country, we are just experiencing things differently to para paraphrase yes. Trudeau. Let me ask you another one. This is a, sure. I know you have strong opinions on this. Uh, Mr. Ford, the Ontario Premier, who for some strange reason doesn't come on this program anymore. <laughs> However, you, uh, he got into a bit of a, a bit of a stir over comments he made about, about immigrants and immigration at work. What's your yeah. take? I think it was really much ado about nothing. Uh, again, it's mostly due to the way the statement was crafted. In other words, the way in this case that Mr. Ford answered the question. If you actually look at what he said about new Canadians or new immigrants, if you wish, who come into this country, most of what he said, Roy, was actually positive. 
he said, we encourage them to come, not only to Ontario, but Canada. We want them to work hard. We know that they're productive. I'm just paraphrasing, obviously. The big problem was that he then switched his tone in a very short statement overall to talking about the fact, well, we don't want people coming here and expect that they're going to be on the dole, so to speak, or basically to collect unemployment insurance, welfare, and other social services. When you start getting into that realm, especially when you're trying to stay positive in your messaging, I think that's what really ticked off a lot of people. And on, a, on the basic surface, you can sort of understand why, because you're going from somewhat positive messages to the fact that you're saying something that typically does not come up, either in writing or during public speaking. And for that reason, and again, this is a bit of a history with the Ford family, who I've known for years. I like them both. I like the late Rob Ford, the mayor of Toronto, although he had enormous amounts of issues, which we don't have to litigate right now. And I've known Doug Ford for many years, and I like him too. The problem is that sometimes they produce very good, populist, folksy-type statements, but then they throw in a few other things. Yes, you can admire it for the fact that they're not politically correct, but unfortunately sometimes you, you stumble a little bit when an issue like this pops up. And had he not said anything about the door, just sort of said, we want, in, you know, we want new Canadians to come to this country, work hard, be productive, and ensure that everyone else follows the rules and we do everything to the nth degree, I think something like that would have come out more positive and we wouldn't have had this controversy. In the it first wouldn't place. have made headlines, but like you, I mean, I've known Doug Ford for, for many years. Yeah. And even though he won't come on the program, and I don't know what happened, I never had an issue with him. And we I never had a nasty word between us. He just doesn't appear anymore. Each time okay. I've asked, there's been a reason why he couldn't do it. But I've never, ever heard Doug Ford in conversations on or off the air say anything that I would consider to be uh, racist or bigoted no. or, or negative or just, you know, stereotypically inappropriate. I've never heard that from him. Oh, me neither. Not in the slightest. No, it's not in his DNA. It really is not. I know people have this mythical belief about what the Ford family or Ford Nation or various other things stand for. No, Doug Ford, believe it or not, is an extremely tolerant, a very good person overall. He sees the best of all people from I think all so walks too. of life. It's the way he is. And yeah. unfortunately, though, when lines like this come out, not to keep reflecting on it, it then creates some doubt in people's mind. But there shouldn't be any doubt in the first place. Can you stay with us a little longer? Sure, I can. Because I went a little long off the top, and I have some other things I'd, I'd like to talk to you about. And we like sure. to, you and I like to have a little run at a, a, a sports story. And I know we, have diver we diverge on opinion on, a, <laughs> uh, on one in particular, so we'll get at that. Uh, Michael Taub is my guest, columnist for Troy Media and Looney Politics, contributor to the National Post and the Washington Times, and was a speechwriter to former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. We'll come back with Michael on The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Oh, hey, on a trillion dollars, there's a guy by the name of Jeffrey Pacheco. He's involved in finances, Michael. In New yep. Mexico, between the United States and Canada, listen to this: if you if you if you compare a billion to a trillion, if we consider the U.S. dollar bill is six point one four inches long, two point six one inches wide, and zero zero point zero zero four three inches thick, we can come up with these astonishing statistics. If you stacked a billion dollars a billion dollar bills on top of each other, the stack would reach sixty seven point nine miles. If you stacked a trillion dollar bills. In the same manner, the column would reach 67,866 miles or comfortably into space, which brings us to Elon Musk. And it was said by an analyst a couple of days ago, he could be the world's first trillionaire. Just saying. 
My just, God, just I, that, that, that's extraordinary. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I've never given thought to that, and I yeah. never realized that. Yeah. But you're right; it does make give new perspective to Elon Musk. And well, I mean, it probably will make William Shatner even happier that he was the first nine-year-old plus <laughs> to go into space. I'm just thinking about how high the stack would be if we stacked what I have. <laughs> well, regrettably for most of us, it'd be smaller. I think we can say that. Hey, when J. J. Paul Getty was the world's richest man, yeah. uh, somebody asked him, do you know how, how, how much you, you're worth, Mr. Getty? And he looked at the reporter and he said, yeah. I don't, and, but, but I suspect you do. And if you know how much you're worth, you're not worth very much. Ouch. That's right. I, I know the quote. Yes, exactly. Okay, let's get at this, uh, the, the other story, and I know this sure. one interests you greatly, as it does most of us. Donald Trump, new, new social media platform. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I, it's interesting. I think we, I may have talked about with you, I certainly talked about with other hosts over the years. I always thought that was Trump's natural step, if he had lost in 2016 or after he lost in 2020. It didn't necessarily preclude him from running again for the presidency, but I always thought it was a natural place for him. But when he got banned by Twitter, I think that's where things really started up. Obviously, they tried to get Trump involved with other social media platforms, but some of them have succeeded, some have failed. And in the end, ultimately, he didn't want to link with anything. I thought that he might actually go off and possibly purchase some of the smaller uh, conservative networks in the United States, such as Newsmax, for example. Um, but in the end, ultimately, he didn't touch any of those. I think it is interesting that he's coming out with this. The IPO is basically listed right now, the independent public offering, at around $875 million, uh, sorry, billion thus far. So basically what's going to happen is the potential for him to actually move up the ladder in terms of his overall wealth and is just his ability to reach a bigger platform is going to escalate. And look, if you can sort of consider the fact that this is a man who can obviously get about 40% of Americans to vote for him, whether they love him or not, and you can get a lot of those people on either in a capacity where some of the uh, some of the services will be free and other parts of it you'll have to pay for, such as the streaming service, he's talking to be a part of it, um, I think it could become an incredibly huge enterprise for him. And certainly for the 2024 presidential election, this is a forum that not only would his name be under and he would control, but the whole thing is that, you know, true social could become something that can not only rally his troops and rally his supporters, but it'll intrigue a lot of other people just to be sort of curious to see what he creates, what he says on it, and what's done from that standing point. So I think it's a brilliant move overall. Yeah, and I read uh, a story the other day that hedge funds are actually getting involved and investing and looking at this as a real moneymaker. So as you said, there's tremendous potential there. Okay, let's go to sports. Sure. Major League Baseball. I gave up on baseball in 1994 when they walked away from the World Series. And I've been a sporadic watcher at best, usually World Series time. But I've been watching a bit of the Major League playoffs. Michael, it's boring. <laughs> it's boring. boring. I, 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 wait, it's I, let me just say this. Let me just say this. Like I got a Boston Red Sox relief pitcher. 47 seconds between pitches. I know, I know. But remember, the rules have changed a lot over the past, well, a few years, few decades, in terms of the amount of time that a pitcher has from pitch A to pitch B, so to speak. So, you know, whereas if you go back to the late 19th century, early 20th century, the wind-up time was much, much shorter for pitchers. Now they obviously, they pause, they, you know, they, touch, they hit the Roslyn, they focus around, they look at signals, they shrug things off, they start the motion again, 
And because of that, it unfortunately delays things quite a bit. Again, you know, baseball, as exciting as it is. Boring, Michael. Well, it's boring. Nothing happens for an hour and a half, and then somebody gets on base. And then about an hour later, maybe there's a grand slam home run, and everybody stands up and cheers, and then for another hour, nothing happens again. Well, but look, again, it's a thinking man's sport. I, I don't expect... Oh, thank ever- you. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> thank in, you. In the sense <laughs> I shot. I don't expect blowouts all yeah, the time in yeah. every game. Okay. A one nothing game in baseball can be actually very okay. exciting, depending on the strategy hey, buddy. that's involved. Got to go. So I, under- I understand where your position is. I get it. And it has slowed down a lot, and it should speed okay. up. But there are ways to... Michael, I got to run. It's a hard break. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.